G'day and Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us for the first Australia Talks of 2024. This is the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. I'm DK. I'm your host, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, R.D. Today is Wednesday, the 3rd of January, 2024. Look, we tried to make it yesterday, but I was nursing one hell of a hangover over the last couple of days. <laughs> so don't don't give me too much shit that we're a couple of days late. <laughs> this week, it's going to be a little bit different than our normal, our normal couple of topics. This week, our topics have been... The topics of 2023. We're doing a little bit of a recap, but some of these topics aren't things we actually spoke about in the podcast over the last year. Some of them are, but most of them actually aren't. So if you're a regular listener, don't stress out. Don't go, oh, this is a clip show or anything like that. It's definitely not. Um, Of course, we're going to have our regular Two Ticks Town Talk in the middle of that. And we are going to jump into this week in Australian history. And we're going to finish off, as always, with the Forex bottle top question. But before we get into all of that, let's catch up on how Christmas and New Year's went. Adit, how have your holidays been? G'day, DK. Uh, yeah, the holidays have been uh, they've been been pretty good, pretty relaxing. Uh, as we mentioned in the Christmas greetings, I was up in Sydney seeing uh, seeing family, and uh, yeah, it was a, a, a great tearing of the paper on Christmas morning. Less, as I said, a little less so now that the nieces are uh, are growing up. But we had had some had some good feeds, um, had some beautiful prawns. That uh, oh, there's there's a there's a place down at uh, f- for listeners who who don't know my family's over um, near near Manly and uh, there's my wife and I are staying at, at North Sydney so just so we've got the in between two families uh, there's normally a place down at at Manly that's like a, a fish market but uh, there's one of these sort of local shopping centres. It's reasonable size taken over by whatever it is, Stockland or something. Uh, the Coles the actually sell really good prawns. Like mum and dad are pretty oh. – yeah, they're sort of pretty fussy on the the seafood and I, they just sort of decided one, one day they, they tried it thinking, oh, yeah, not sort of sure about this with Coles and then realised, oh, hang on, this is a bit of a uh, bit of a bargain. There just seems to be something that whoever's in charge of that fish one at uh, seafood one at Coles gets it right. But so I travel. I, I was picking up because I was one of my things I was doing was was prawns with Thai dipping sauce, blah blah blah. Uh, but when I, I thought, all oh, right, I'll nick over, nick over there, get these uh, these good Coles prawns, and uh, so went round the the corner. I thought, oh damn it, there's a little bit of a, a queue. Went a bit further. Round the corner, and I thought, "You're kidding me!" By the time I got round, there was it was 40, 45 people deep. I thought, oh, "This, this is on this is on uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve on the twenty fourth." And I looked at it and I thought, "God, is this going to be the same as down at Bloody Manly?" So that was yeah, that was about a, a 10, 15 minute drive away. I thought, "I'm going to roll the dice," because I looked at it. There were two people behind the counter, and I'm just mentally calculating. I think I'm going to be standing here for a couple of hours. Yeah, we had other uh, people to catch. I fluked a gap down at Manly. Uh, had two people in front of me and scored some really good Queensland prawns. They were Gold Coast uh, 
Gold Coast Prawns, and they went down particularly well. So uh, that's that's a hell of a lot of detail about a, a small thing, but it was one of those things I was, uh, you know, prawns at uh, Christmas time are, are such a good thing, and to score a to score a good good batch is is very good. So yes, I did that. Caught up with the family, came back to unsurprisingly a whole lot of mowing. <laughs> to do mm. with, the, with the bit of rain and the the warmth, um, and yeah, just settling back into the the routine. What about you? How'd your Chrissy go? Chrissy New Year go? Really good. Because uh, Christmas is so special with young children, they really bring the magic back into mm. Christmas. So I'm I am very lucky, and I'm I, I sort of realise that. Uh, while my kids are still quite young, um, we do still have that sort of magic that you sort of lose as you get a little bit older. Um, and Christmas suddenly doesn't really become as important. In fact, in my household prior to having kids, it, it basically just became a, a, a good day to get really, really drunk um, oh, yeah, yeah. as a family. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it, it's nice that things have kind of gone back to, to get what... drunk as a family. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> we still do a fair, fair bit of drinking, but not nothing like we used to. So, um, And again, lots of prawns, a couple of kilos of prawns, um, and you'd oh, just gorge yourself on prawns, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, we had local king tiger prawns, and they were absolutely fantastic. Um, it's sort of the only the only time of the year that I really am gluttonous with prawns. <laughs> I've never I'd never really do it otherwise. Um, oh, same here. And it, it sort of is a nice tradition, I guess. So that was really good. Uh, as I said, that week between Christmas and New Year's. I just I don't like to do anything. It just oh. it feels like a bit of a filler, you know. There's sort of nothing going on. Yep. Um, and of course, some people go Boxing Day sales. Some people start traveling. Um, this year for us, we didn't have anything on, so that was kind of nice. To we we often do use that week to go traveling, but this year it all kind of it was all too last minute and it didn't all work out. But. Um, it was kind of nice to just spend the week uh, really not doing much at all. Um, yeah. We've had heaps of rain uh, around here, and we, we will talk about this a little bit later on in the recap because um, it's not just here that's been smashed with rain Ooh. in uh, in late December. And New Year's was really good. Uh, I had a great time with good friends, drank way too much, <laughs> uh, and paid for it. Uh, what I'm finding out is the hangovers are lasting more than a day these days. And oh, I guess, wow. I guess, well, I guess I'm getting older. You know, it, it's 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 not so much I'm still hungover the day after. It's just I'm not, you know, energy levels are low. I'm very tired and cranky. I'm not, can't focus oh. very well. So I, I've heard this is what happens as you're getting old. So maybe I'm getting a bit old. I don't know. So. Um, yeah, oh, well, obviously, I'm, well, obviously, as people know, I'm you know, a lot older than you. Uh, look, I did find that, yeah, I could, uh, I, well, I can give it a nudge, but uh, yeah, the the stopping time is earlier and earlier. And for me, I suppose in some ways I'm I'm lucky that, uh, like, if I'm out and about, it can be bad because you sort of 
surrounded by social things, but if it's uh, something where there's not a huge need for extra energy, I end up just falling asleep. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I reach, I reach sort of, I reach a point where I think I literally can't drink anymore, and then I fall asleep. <laughs> Probably not a bad way to do it. We, we actually weren't planning on having a real big one, uh, but as uh, as often what happens, especially in my circle of friends, when we all agree that we're not going to have a big one, that's generally when the biggest parties end up happening. Oh, yeah. um, when we all, you know, it's it's like an opposite thing, uh, and unfortunately, this is one of those days. So we did, we made it to midnight. We didn't think we would. We weren't planning on it, uh, but we definitely saw the new year in with one hell of a bang, and it was a great time. But as I said, I've sort of been paying for it the last couple of days, but I'm I'm fine today. Woke up nice and nice and chirpy. So let's kick fine off. Form. Let's kick off. And unfortunately, 2023 really kicked off with a bit of a tragedy in January 2023 in Queensland's Gold Coast. There was a helicopter crash. Well, actually, two helicopter crashes. A collision, a mid-air collision occurred just outside of the SeaWorld Resort uh, as one helicopter was landing and another one was taking off. They collided and it cost claims of the lives of four people and injured eight others not a good way to start the year that's for sure february february was kind of interesting not a lot happened in february except there was a huge event that we didn't cover uh and it was the first time in the southern hemisphere uh sydney hosted world pride what is world pride world pride is the largest LGBTIQA plus human rights conference and it's the biggest one ever to be held in the Southern Hemisphere. Sydney World Pride 2023 was from the 17th of February to the 5th of March and incorporated Sydney's uh, very famous gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. The 17-day festival comprised more than 300 LGBTQ plus events, including parties, gigs, arts, and sports. 310,000 people attended the festival with over 21,000 international visitors attending, mostly from the US and Canada, but from other places as well. Bloody hell. That induced $228 million in tourism spending, far surpassing the expectations in the tough economic environment. So, you know, a lot of people don't like the LGBTQ plus uh, community for, for some bad reasons. Sometimes they might have a valid reason in their mind, but... You can't blame uh, the, the economics kind of speak for themselves. It was a huge event. It's pretty cool that massive events like this are being held in places like Australia. We can, we've can we shown the world that we can absolutely do it. So I'd like to see a bit more of this stuff going on Didn't know it was that big, in the future. Really? I, I knew I... You know, I knew the, the Mardi Gras was on and there was something around it, but didn't sort of pay much attention. You know, I'm not, not living up in, in Sydney and it's not sort of... Um, you know, it's not my sort of lifestyle, or no one, no one, well, immediately close to me, um, you know, is is part of that. But I'm astounded that it's that size that they got it that size with the uh, the Pride event. Yeah, it really did surprise me. I've I've been to Mardi Gras a few times. Um, 
a lot of fun, great night out. Um, but, and it is an, a really, it, it sort of paralyzes Sydney uh, when it's on. It's very all-encompassing. Um, Were you on a float? No, no, just attending with friends, that sort of thing. Uh, but but it sort of, it definitely spreads uh, into, you know, greater Sydney area in the CBD sort of thing. Um, but, so it doesn't surprise me that World Pride was such a massive thing, but oh, 310,000 people uh, is absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't just, it wasn't just a party. Uh, it was, obviously, there were uh, uh, sort of festivals and parties and, and lots of that sort of stuff going on. But I found it really interesting that there were, like, sports events and things like that held as well as, as part of it. So it, it's more than yeah. just, more than just, like, a bigger Mardi Gras. It's kind of a bit of, a bit of uh, lots of different, lots of different things, which is kind of cool. Very cool to see, uh, again, Australia on the stage, it's on the world stage, especially with, how the world is at the moment, especially in 2023, obviously, you know, all around the world, purse strings are very tight and all that sort of stuff, but people um, are happy to dig deep and, and come all the way here, especially yeah. from, from the US and Canada. It's not a, it's a pretty long way to come. So in March, New South Wales got a new government in the state election, a Labour comprehensively defeating the coalition to leave only Tasmania as the only jurisdiction with a liberal government. This, I'm not in New South Wales, so I don't care too much. But what I do think <laughs> was quite interesting is that every jurisdiction in Australia as of right now uh, is under Labor's control, including federally, with exception to Tasmania. So I do think that's quite interesting, and I wonder if that is a bit of a uh, a knee-jerk reaction from the previous coalition government, you know, and people wanting to shed that. I know in New South Wales, I feel like that was very much the case. It wasn't so much that Labor won, it was more that the coalition lost. Yeah, um, yep. So we'll, we'll see how long, again, uh, some of these states... Uh, with Labor governments stay that way. And we're probably going to come back and talk about this a little bit later on in this episode. Uh, let's move on to April. March, not a lot happened in March. Um, not, <laughs> also April, not much really happened in April. Uh, much of the same sort of background news that we've had all year. Lots of RBA interest rates increases. Are they going to increase? Are they not going to increase? The Greens have been stalling the government's uh, housing plans. Of course, the housing crisis as well. Though, well, those three topics are really the same thing, aren't they? Um, yep. April, we were talking about electricity pricing caps. Uh, and, of course, this was right before the budget. So there was lots of budget speculation and huge amounts of talk about the voice to parliament, uh, the voice to parliament uh, vote that was coming up in September, which of course we're going to talk about as we get closer to that month. May was a busy month. We had the budget, the coronation, and of course the oh, biggest. Yeah, yeah. The biggest news story at the time was New South Wales police tasering a 95-year-old Claire Nowland, and unfortunately, she died as a result of her injuries. So, 
the budget, uh, of course, released in May, every May. Uh, lots of winners and lots of losers. We did do a bit of a comprehensive one on the budget, so I'm not going to go through this too much because it can be a bit dry, especially this far from it. Um, but yeah, when and it's more big... just more just a bit of a, a, a recap and a reminder. I mean, because <laughs> there's been two you've reminded me of already that I I didn't know the extent of, and I'd completely forgotten about the coronation. So. Yeah, as you said, we when we've gone into them in depth, people can go back and have a listen to those episodes. That's right. There were lo- look, there were lots of winners and losers uh, in the budget. There were some surprises. That some things not so surprising. One big standout was the rating in the NDIS, uh, and and reducing how that's that's growing. And of course, the big surprise was a budgeted surplus uh, in the coming years. Uh, and apparently, that's actually very much on track uh, to happen as of the latest figures. So we'll probably touch on the budget as it comes up uh, in May, of course, this year. We'll probably do another budget episode because uh, they can be quite interesting in how they break things down. Of course, in Britain, as we said, the coronation of King Charles III occurred after Queen Elizabeth died last September at the age of 96. Man, that's good innings, I tell you. Yep. Uh, Celebrating King Charles's coronation as King of Australia, buildings and monuments across the country were illuminated in royal purple on the 6th and 7th of May. And on the 7th, the Australia's Federation Guard fired a 21-gun salute from the forecourt of Parliament House. The Royal Australian Air Force was also going to do a flyover at the time uh, with a couple of jets, but uh, poor weather, poor visibility stopped that so hmm. um that would have been cool to see but meanwhile in kuma new south you wales those, just of course it's your sort of your wheelhouse the um i mean the 21 gun salutes obviously they're they're firing um blanks is there yeah. a particular like is this is there something is there a special type of blank for that or it's a it's a training type of thing or what, do you know much about that yeah so blanks are basically just a regular cartridge uh with no no powder or sometimes they'll have a tiny bit of powder in the bottom and most of the time it's not it's just the primer um and they crimped right? yeah, yeah and they, they're just crimped at the end so they they have no projectile obviously um because of a way of the and it's just a regular firearm uh works the same way because of the way uh um blanks operate when you if you're standing in front of the muzzle of a of a blank when it's fired it absolutely will will hurt you and unfortunately there have been deaths uh mm. in in production of course we remember a few years ago where um uh, uh, a videographer was killed by Alec Baldwin. Where, oh, yeah. Uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, actually, yeah. I, I do think that wasn't a blank. I think that was an actual no, that real, was, real, was that a real was cartridge actual, that was put in. It was. Yeah. So um, depending on the firearm they're also using, you may need to use what's called uh, a blank firing uh, attachment. So sometimes you'll see training exercises where they'll have like an orange thing on the end of the muzzle sort of covering it um and and that helps with with semi-automatic firearms or fully automatic firearms obviously they use uh some of the gas to operate or i should say gas operated firearms they use some of the gas 
to operate the system. Otherwise, it'll jam. Yep. It'll shoot once, and then it won't work again. Um, so you have this thing on the front that helps direct some of that gas to to actually cycle the weapon and things like that. Not not all weapons can can use an attachment like that. Some of them have to use special types of blanks and stuff like that. So yeah, this is a whole can of worms. But yes, I, look, I thought I, I knew you would I knew you would know about it. I'm surprised that the uh, primer on a crimped round gives enough of a sound. Yeah. They can go. They can, because once you contain that all, you know, within the within the confines of the firearm, and it goes off, it's pretty pretty spectacular. Um, yeah. Now, in Kuma, New South Wales, uh, a ninety-five year old grandmother died in hospital after a police officer allegedly tasered her at an aged care facility, and he was charged with three offences. The police say that she was holding a steak knife while using a walking frame, and officers were called to the Yellumby Lodge care, aged care facility by staff. She was allegedly tasered by a police officer, causing her to fall and fracture her skull. She died in the Coomera Base Hospital a week later. Uh, Senior Constable Christian White was suspended from the New South Police with pay following the incident. I haven't had a follow-up from that. I did look into this to see if this has been wrapped up. I don't think it's gone to court yet. So uh, this might be one of those ones that quietly just disappears. Yeah, yeah. Now, in June, we had uh, two, two pretty crazy events happen. Uh, the first being on the June long weekend in New South Wales, 10 people were killed and 25 others were injured after a bus crashed in the Hunter town of Greta after they were attending a wedding. It was a wedding... Uh, bus didn't have the bride and groom or the, or the bridal party as far as I'm aware uh, but it was full of guests that were leaving uh, the the winery that they were at to go to another venue uh, and the bus crashed uh, and as I said killing 10 people and injuring 25 others huge news massive news um, absolutely terrible and there's been a few inquiries going on since I haven't seen the results I did look but it looks like Quite a few of the New South Wales government inquiries are still ongoing um, at this point in time. So I don't know that we've got too many solid answers about exactly what happened. But there are talks about changing the way that uh, buses uh, requirements and buses for seatbelts and, and things like that. So um, the other big news in June was not specifically Australian news, but it did capture Australians' intention Absolutely not. Well, not just Australia, but really the whole world. And that was the Titan sub disappeared. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sub was the sub was on a tourist visit to the wreck of the RMS Titanic when it lost contact with its mothership, and the world world held their breath, pun intended, whilst <laughs> asking, "Could the five people on board be trapped at the bottom of the ocean with little option but to wait as their limited supply of oxygen dwindled?" Or had there been some sort of catastrophic accident leaving no chance that they could be saved? Turns out it was the latter, the sub suffering a catastrophic implosion event that killed all of the passengers and crew. 
basically instantaneously. They reckon mm. it happened so quickly. They the people on board probably didn't even know what had happened, uh, and were turned into effectively pink mist uh, at the bottom of the ocean. Absolutely mm. terrible tragedy. Completely avoidable uh, and. Uh, that's how a couple of billionaires died <laughs> in June 2023. I, was, I shouldn't be laughing, but no, it just it, it yeah. is absurd, isn't it? It is. It was a bit. It was a bit bizarre how they stretched it out, though. When it sort of, I, I thought it had come to light later on that they were sort of quite confident they were dead, but there was. Uh, I don't know. There was something a little bit odd about how that thing was reported. You know, it was. It felt like there was a bit of a, a stretch out. I, I completely agree, and I think there's two things at play here. The first was the 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 company that ran at Ocean Gate knew for something like ten hours that the sub had been lost or or had lost contact with a sub for something like ten hours prior to even telling anybody or any of the authorities to say, hey, we might need some help here. So there was a bit of a huge lag uh, from OceanGate themselves. Also, the US Navy apparently knew there was an implosion event way before they officially announced it. it. Thank you. That's the thing I was trying to recall. Um, Because with a lot of – and – yeah, with a lot of these uh, sensors that they use to detect these sorts of events underwater uh, and, and above, uh, it, it, it's akin to like spy satellites. You don't want to tell uh, anybody how you know something because then they may figure out that you have something where you shouldn't or you have a capability that they didn't previously know about and things like that. So... The U.S. Navy didn't really want to say that it knew what had happened before a certain period of time when it was more understandable that they would have that knowledge, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, once they've got... I, I think they knew about it re- really when it when it happened, uh, and they didn't want to say anything until they'd actually had equipment there, probably also just to verify, you know, to say, hey... Is this we've we've get, got this information, but we don't necessarily know this is uh, true and correct until they could sort of verify it afterwards. But yeah, that's look, that's fair enough. Um, a bit of a crazy first start to the year. Let's take a little break now and jump into our two ticks town talk, and then we'll cover off the last six months of 2023. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Okay, it's uh, time for the Two Ticks Town Talk. And this, uh, probably when I say the name, you you will probably know exactly what's captured my attention on this one, DK. The town we're going to today is Maree in South Australia. Now, it's a small town located in the north of South Australia, about uh, 590k, 360 miles north of Adelaide. And it's at the junction of the Udnadatta Track and the Birdsville Track. Uh, it's a service area for the large sheep and cattle stations in the area, and a lot of tourists 
uh, who are travelling along Birdsville or Udnadatta track stop over there. Uh, the area is the home of the Dieri or Diari uh, Aboriginal people, and the major areas of employment are mining, agriculture, and accommodation services. So, a few factoids about the ta- town. Um, the town was home to Australia's first mosque, which was made of mud brick and built by Afghan Kamalis employed at Mari's inception. So at the turn of the 20th century, the town was divided in two, with Europeans on one side and Afghans and Aborigines on the other. It's such a, like, I did, I knew about that. And that's always seemed to me such a quirky bit of history because you'd never, yeah. ever pick it, <laughs> right? But once you realize that the Afghanis were there with the Cameliers and, like, then it, it makes sense, but it just seems so out of place. It does. It it does, and it just it's yeah, it's it's not. You're right. It does seem out of place, particularly as time goes on and people forget what was going on and the importance of the Cameliers at that stage too. Uh, it was originally known as Hergot String Hergot Springs after German botanist. Uh, Joseph Hergott, who discovered springs in the area, and it was in 1911, it was still known as uh, that for the census. It was changed to Mari in 1917 due to anti-German sentiment during World War I. Uh, so it became a, a major cattle head, sorry, a major railroad for the cattle industry. Uh, and as we know, we've heard uh, of the Garn before uh, it was on the the root of it, we've mentioned that previously in two ticks town talks um, and the major rail history. That basically they sort of got a they actually got a little bit dudded. In fifty seven, the standard gauge line got uh, built from Murray. Um, then that made and that uh, to facilitate the movement of coal from Lee Creek to Port Augusta, so it gave them a bit of industry. Uh, that was a break in the gauge on the Garn service because uh, the rest of the line was uh, still narrow gauge. Uh, then in 1980, the narrow gauge was closed from Murray to Alice Springs uh, when they rebuilt further west. And then in 1987, the standard gauge line to Murray was closed north of the coal mine oh. and it lost all railway connection. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So poor buggers, they sort of lucked out in the end. Now, here's something he did. Murray is also the home of Tom Cruise. That's Tom Cruise spelled K-R-U-S-E. He was one of the men who drove the mail trucks from Murray to Birdsville in Queensland. They had to do 700 kilometres over sandy and stony desert in Australia Uh in fully loaded trucks, and they were saying it's a remarkable feat to make the run at all, let alone bloody fully loaded. So even today, in with yeah. modern gear, oh, you know. Even today, exactly. Yeah, so that was yeah, that was pretty funny when I saw the name Tom Cruise. But what caught my eye, um, reputedly, though I think it's a bit of a hyperbole, my eye could have actually been caught from outer space. So I'm talking, of course, about the Murray Man. Uh, what's the Murray Man? 
the Murray Man is a geoglyph which lies on a, a plateau of arid land approximately 60k west of Murray and can only be viewed in its entirety from the air. So a, a geoglyph is a large design or drawing that's made on the surface of the earth that contrasts with the surrounding terrain. So there's geoglyphs all over the world. Murray Man is arguably the second largest, um, but yes, it is something that's uh, common. So the Murray Man is 4.2 kilometres long, 1.7 miles, 28 kilometres around the circumference, 17 miles. I, I knew of Murray Man, didn't know it was that big. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's way bigger than I thought. Same here. I wouldn't, wouldn't have even guessed close, close to that. So that gives an area of about two and a half square kilometres or 620 acres. And his penis is 400 metres long. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so the lines outlining the, the figure uh, were 20 to 30 centimetres deep. That's about eight, eight to 12 inches deep uh, when they discovered it. And up to 35 metres wide, 115 feet. Uh, the geoglyph depicts an Aboriginal man hunting and holding either, it's either a woomera, which is a, a throwing stick that you use with, with spears, um, or a boomerang. It's not 100% clear. Um, though the man depicted is not from that area due to his headband, hairstyle, and the, the scarring. Which I like had, to think that yep. he is a conductor. Uh, and conductor? He, he's conducting an orchestra. Oh, that's it's just it's just interesting. So left, left field thing to say there. Well, I mean, it could be. Um, <laughs> yeah, why'd you say that? Because it's just it's like a stick. He looks like oh, yeah. he's conducting something. Oh, you know. Okay, okay, I can see that now. Well, look, people who haven't seen uh, Murray Man, uh, there'll be links here in the podcast notes, so you can um, you can look at that, or there'll be li- the same podcast notes also appear on the R slash. Australian subreddit. Uh, so yeah, the actual the man depicted's not from the area. Uh, it's more synonymous with someone from Central Australia around the Musgrave Ranges. And someone noticed in 1998 that there's a statue, um, a, a Greek one uh, of of Zeus that they found at the bottom of the Adriatic Sea in 1928, and it looks like the outline of that matches Murray Man, but in reverse. Ah. Yeah, so the first person to spot the figure was a, a bloke, an outback pilot called Trek Smith, who observed it from the air. T-R-E-C, haven't heard that name before, but there you go. Uh so he he saw it and he came back into town. He said it was so big he assumed everybody would know about it. Uh, landed back in town and mentioned it. Nobody had any idea what he was talking about. They thought to be fair actually- though, it is <laughs> kind of in the middle of nowhere. Like it is, yeah. it, it is. But I, I I suppose you would look at it and you would think something that's that bloody big. I mean, it's in it's in sort of um, uh, native title. Land, so there might be restrictions there, but I can imagine flying over and seeing something, you know, two and a half kilometers long. I think, wow, that's interesting. I, I wonder what the locals think of that. And coming back and then thinking, oh, it's a little bit mad. 
Um, and they said he could see it from 6,000 feet. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair. Yeah, so, so yeah, I get what you're saying. It's it is it is in the middle of nowhere, r- really. In the like when you have a look at it on uh, Google Maps or something, you'll see that yeah, there's there's not exactly a McDonald's nearby. So, <laughs> uh, the public and media reaction, the figure is mainly positive. Uh, the advertiser, the state's only newspaper. Uh, was saying they want the figure to be made permanent by excavating the outline down to the white chalk layer beneath. It wasn't excavated that far, but apparently there is a a lower um, layer of chalk. And at the time it was discovered, there was a native national native uh, tribunal going on to determine the, the traditional owners of that area. There was a argument between the Arabana people and the Diary uh, Mitha people that they'd been uh, in dispute for a number of years. Uh, the Dairy Mitha uh, said that it was harm and exploitation of the dream time. They wanted it erased. Um, they took legal action to stop charter flights and visits uh, vehicles visiting the site. So the state government actually closed it shortly after the area, to closed the area shortly after to the public. Um, the artwork was also called environmental vandalism by the former envirus, vir, environment minister. God, I struggle with those words. By the former environment minister, Dorothy Cotts, and graffiti by the South Australian Chief of Aboriginal Affairs, David Ruthman. Uh, 2018, Dick Smith revealed he had a team working on investigating the origins of Maori men for two years, and he was offering 5000 bucks reward for any info leading to its uh, creators. And the South Australian government even said, listen, they wouldn't uh, pursue anything legally if the creators were identified. What so is Dick Smith? He pops yeah, up in the weird doesn't places. He? <laughs> doesn't he? I, I thought, you know, I thought exactly the same thing when I saw that in the, the research notes. I thought, Dick Smith. There he is. <laughs> Look, he's a keen, he's a keen little bean. Oh, he is. He sees something and he's like, you know, he's got to get to the bottom of it. I, I think, yeah, you haven't specifically said this, and I don't want to steal your glory or anything, but yep. just so listeners that don't don't fully get what's happening here, this this isn't like an ancient uh, that was only discovered, you know, like an ancient structure that was only oh, discovered will, in nine hundred eight. Yeah, I'll be getting the getting okay. the date the dates on on that. But you're you're quite right. In fact, I was going to lead in and say, and that's it. No mysteries whatsoever about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was aliens, obviously. Yeah. Oh, well, well, obviously. I mean, anyone in their right mind. Uh, no one's actually claimed responsibility. There was no eyewitnesses being found, um, notwithstanding the scale of the operation. So here's the bit you were alluding to. We know that Murray Men was created between 27th of May and the 12th of June 1998. So in, in that, uh, you know, that's that's essentially a, a fortnight. You know, what's it? May's got 30, 31 days. Yeah, May's got 30, so that's... Um, 15 days. Uh, they know that because there was uh, images collected uh, from NASA's Landsat 5 satellite in that area where the Murray Man was found, and it goes from undisturbed 
to the completed figure. And it goes to the completed figure without a whole lot of tracks or, you know, bulldozer tracks or car tracks or anything leading into it. Now, you know, there's wind out there and everything. Things might get uh, blown around, but it's funny how it just sort of, it just appears. Needless to say, there's a few conspiracies, and don't we love a good conspiracy? Mm -hmm. Uh, Surveyors. you know, I suppose they're the, the, the engineers of the measuring world. They speculate their figure was made by a bulldozer and could have taken weeks to complete, which isn't quite uh, in keeping with that, that period of time that we outlined above. But no one locally at all claims to have seen or heard a thing, and there's only one track that goes into and out of the site. But there was no footprints, no tyre marks, um, even though a thorough police investigation was conducted at the time, and it came up with nothing. Um, there was rumours, obviously, around the town of Murray, and someone reckoned that the uh, geoglyph was a stunt by a local scenic flight operator who wanted to profit from tourism generated by its discovery. In, in fact, local charter pl- planes Really, <laughs> they got a good run out of it uh, and still do it as a business. Oh, wow. Yes, yes, yeah, which, which, all- so yeah, so that probably sounds more credible than maybe some of the others. Well, look, potentially, but at the time that it was up there, it was under, still under the native title thing, it was still a potential problem. Um, but yeah, it was very it was very plausible. Uh, other ones was Murray Man was the work of extraterrestrials. Uh, the one I tend to think is the most uh, common sense one, or, <laughs> or a warning to Pauline Hanson, uh, a politician over here in Australia, regarding racist remarks made about Australian Aborigines. Now that's not, when- that's not like her to. Be no. make racist remarks? No, well, they might be. They might be pointing where she lives and saying, "You, Pauline, don't do it again." <laughs> um, and so this got this got discovered, and all of a sudden, uh, faxes and press releases started coming out anonymously. So, several anonymous press releases got sent to media and local businesses in July and August '98, suggesting that Murray Man was created by people from the United States. And the reason they think those releases might have been uh, people from the US is they had things like your state of South Australia, the Queensland Barrier Reef, um, and mention Aborigines from the local Indigenous territories, which are not terms that we used here. And also referenced measurements. No, exactly. So it was sort of a bit of a clue, and they they used Mm. miles and yards. Ah, Yeah. yeah, right. And they also mentioned the Great Serpent in Ohio. I don't even, which is not what. Yeah, exactly. It's not well known outside the US. And I said exactly the same. What? Um, it was also conjectured that these features of the press releases might have been red herrings inserted to provide an illusion of American authorship. Uh, so you know, there was that that mystery, and then mystery on mystery there. Uh, there, in 16th of July, 98, a small glass jar was found in a trough 
freshly dug at the site containing a satellite photo of the Mari man with a note bearing a US flag and references to the Branch Davidians and the Stewart's giant. Stewart's giant after the explorer John McDougall Stewart. The details of that note have never been released. So, hmm. Also, in January 1999, the next year, a fax was sent to officials talking about a plaque that was buried five metres under the nose of the figure. And the plaque ended up bearing an American flag, uh, three centimetres by two centimetres, with an imprint of the Olympic rings and bore the words, in honour of the land they once knew, his attainments in these pursuits are extraordinary, a constant source of wonderment and admiration. And that comes from uh, bloke Hedley H. Finlayson's 1946 book, The Red Centre. And it comes from a section in that book describing the hunting of wallabies with throwing sticks and with photographs of hunters without loincloths and other details that are seen in the Murray Man. And the book deals with the hunters of the Pijanjara tribe. The suggested creator is a bloke called Bardius Goldberg. Now, he was a Northern Territory artist. He died in 2002, lived at Alice Springs, and he was known to be interested in creating a work visible from space. But uh, when questioned, he refused to either confirm or deny it. The story goes that Goldberg got 10,000 bucks shortly before Murray Mann appeared and told his mates about a a project. There's a a bloke, Peter Clements, the mayor of Kangaroo Island, who said Goldberg gave him a confession of sorts while gravely ill in hospital in Adelaide in 2000. He said he'd been working on a big project in northern South Australia and he mentioned the Murray Mann. Uh, he said he didn't want people to know that he's involved, but he'd left some clues in the ground that will tell the story. Um, yeah. And now the GPS technology at that time, it was, it was pretty good, but it wasn't too bad. Um, because it was so exact, mining companies came in for a, a bit of a mention in the conspiracy theories. Because as you can see, there's no shortage of them. Mm. So, so 1990s, Western Mining was uh, working on water bores and pipelines for their dam, uh, tapping into the Great Artesian Basin, another thing which we've mentioned uh, on our Two Ticks Town Talks. Uh, they would have contacted a guy to dig a trench, a local man said, and maybe he got bored when he finished, had some leftover fuel and thought, I'll plug in the coordinates and do the Mari man up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Others suggested that members of the Australian Army or American soldiers stationed in Woomera are responsible because Woomera is, Woomera is not far away. It's within a, I think it's a I don't know, 100Ks, couple of hundred Ks, something like that. It's you know pretty much next door to it. But at the end of the day, no one knows for, for sure. And this is the bit that I alluded to with them still doing the flight. So in August 2016, because the thing was starting to um, fade, a whole lot of numerous, uh, numerous, a whole lot of business owners decided uh, that they would get out a grader there and grade it because of the town's tourist draw. 
Um, this was this was done in conjunction with the uh, Arabana people. Um, in fact, I think I haven't got it down here. But I think one of the blokes who was one of their elders could see uh, the benefit in it. Apologies for not having his name, but I do remember seeing his face. Uh, so they using accurate GPS coordinates. So this is in 2016 that they got from the original. They used a grader to redraw it over about five days. But it turns out that accurately drawing a, a massive man in the desert's pretty hard, even with um, that extra couple of decades of advances in, GP, in GPS. They're a bit concerned that uh, Murray Man would be a mess if they didn't get it right. But then, in a modern-day version of those faxes that would come through in the late 1990s, an anonymous email turned up with a set of coordinates, and it was correct to an accuracy of 150 millimetres all the way around the 28-kilometre circumference. Oh, no, wow. Yeah. No one knows who sent that e email either, so it's just as <laughs> much of a mystery. And, I mean, look, that's long after the guy speculated to have built it not built, uh, have have done it. The artist he died in two thousand and two because we're talking two thousand and sixteen here. Um, so they put in some wind grooves, which is a, a way to their things designed to trap water and encourage growth of vegetation. So they're hoping that those lines start to turn green in the future, make the geoglyph more visible, and that the chances of it fading will be reduced. So. That concludes the story of a man from other parts that made his mark on a plateau of land by an unknown hand. Murray, South Australia, and the mystery of the Murray man. Oh, wow. I did, there's so much more to this story oh, yeah. than, than I knew. I didn't know about the 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 US or the the weird press releases that alluded to nope. the US having something to do with it, or the Branch Davidians, or any of this stuff. The how strange there's a dedication plaque buried five yeah. meters south of the nose of the figure. That's so weird. Because it's all weird. It's the whole thing is very strange. <laughs> um, because it, you're right, it, it, and the fact that it happened so quickly, like the the construction of it originally being uh you know having been discovered uh yeah. one day it's there and a couple of days later it's you know one day it's not there and a couple of days later it's there and for it being so big to get it you know damn near well we say perfect but we don't know if they made some mistakes and just kind of rolled with it, let's be honest. But the mm. fact that it proportionally looks, you know, damn near perfect is just an incredible testament to whoever it was. Part of me says, though, like, I kind of love the, f the fun of this. Like, yeah. you know, that if you were part of the, the group of people, because obviously it, w it couldn't have been like one person. It had to be a, probably a small group of people that did this. And, so. you know, it would just be fun to, to the mystery of it all. It is, it's, it's cool, you know. Um, and that there was and, even that little uh, t t twist, you know, with like the artists had died and when they decided, you know, almost 20 years later, ah, oh, look, let's keep it going for tourist things. 
and that someone knew that um, they were a bit concerned about, if we don't get this right, we're going to stuff it up. And this that mystery email with exactly the right coordinates. I mean, 150 mil on a 28 kilometer circumference. And sorry, guys, I can't do the uh, maths in my head for, for, for miles and inches, but you get, you get the idea that it just sort of popped out of nowhere. No one claimed anything. And it was just like this voice from that's just been watching the Murray man and seeing this whole mystery and whether it was someone originally involved or whether it was someone who knew the story, it's, it was just a nice little twist at the end that here's just another mystery like it hasn't gone away. I I do really like that. I also like because I'm sure I was thinking about this as you were as you were talking, and the fact that they used the GPS coordinates, or that at least they had the exact GPS coordinates, and we're assuming that they came from someone that was originally involved with it. But now that I think about it, what they could have done that wouldn't wouldn't have been captured on the satellite imagery was they could have sort of like staked it out, its outline, you know, with with small wooden stakes or something like that, which the satellite imagery would never pick that up if they were small enough um, and sort of planned it out before they did it. But the fact that the satellite imagery is, it's not there at all. And then the next one is it's completed. There is yeah. no, there's no halfway in between. It's kind of like nothing, and then it's there. Kind of really adds to the mystery of it as well. Um, <laughs> and I wonder if maybe you know, because a lot of these, a lot of these satellites are sort of public information when they're traveling over certain areas and stuff like that. So I wonder if maybe that was part of the plan. Maybe it was just a happy accident. I have no idea. But like I said, it was definitely aliens. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, I think there's one thing we can reasonably conclude is, is that it was aliens. <laughs> I I do kind of like that it could have been. Um, what did you say his name was? Barnabas Goldberg. Uh, yeah. That that he could have done it. I just I like the idea that he's done it and just being real cheeky about it and just taking it, you know, to his grave sort of thing. Um, yeah. It's very impressive, and the mystery really adds to it. So it, it is a shame that it's very faded. I was looking at it on Google Maps, and you can see the outline that they've redone. But compared to the original, uh, the sort of the original works, it is very, very faded these days. You, you sort of have to really zoom in. You have to know where it is on yeah. Google Maps. It doesn't sort of jump out on the on the landscape um, anymore, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah, but look, I, I suppose if there's that, if there's the um, the will there to keep it for the tourist draw, because I mean, it would be. Look, I've got to got to say, if I was up around Murray, I'd be very tempted to um, to fly over and look at it, just because, and particularly now that I know more about it. You know, it mm. was it was uh, it was quite fun researching this one. I sort of thought, oh yeah, Murray, man, okay, that could be a good one. And then dug into it and spent a lot more time reading about this than what I expected to. So I'd I'd give it a flyover for a bit of a peek. Oh yeah, definitely. Or uh, get the drone in the air, that sort of thing. Um, I, I want them to go out there and fill up the trenches with like white gravel or something. You know, make it really stand out. Um, but the logistics and cost of doing something that would be pretty. Pretty extravagant, uh, but all you never that know. sweet tourism money. That's <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, there are, you know, there are. Um, what do they call them? Petroglyphs of uh, uh, there's there's a couple in Europe 
that are like that where they've put sort of I think it like like chalk or, or some sort of white gravel or something like that into the depression on the hill to so it's you know it it's white when you look at it it's like you know looks like a white chalk drawing on the side of the mountain sort of thing right. so something like that could be done but again uh, yeah the will to do it you never know something like never this know. may happen in the future but oh. how cool awesome let's move on to our 2023 wrap-up we're up to july and july had a bit of a a bit of a mystery as well uh mushrooms to die for or should i say beef wellington to Uh, die for uh erin patterson was charged with three counts of murder and five of attempted murder. The allegations center around a beef Wellington lunch served on July 29th of last year by Mrs. Patterson to four of her relatives. Three of the people that attended the lunch later died of suspected mushroom poisoning. Miss Patterson has always maintained she did not intentionally poison her guests and has denied any wrongdoing. The case was adjourned until May of this year, 2024. So we'll probably come back to this one uh, because it is a bit weird. The whole thing, the whole case seems very, very strange. It is um, a bit weird. She, as far as I understand at this point, uh, she also consumed uh, the Beef Wellington and and herself was also sick. Uh, She claims that she purchased the mushrooms from the shop and had receipts and all sorts of things, but it all kind of doesn't add up. There's there's lots and lots to this case and it is, it's very, very weird. And I'm I'm quite looking forward to, to seeing how this sort of goes because... I really want to know what's actually yeah. been going on, what the truth is, you know. Um, yeah, look, I always I, have that Azaria, Azaria Chamberlain um, tucked into the back of my head with things mm. like, like this, and I think, poor lady if she's innocent, because everyone's, uh, you know, not everyone, a lot of people have said, well, obviously she's guilty, you know, all the... Um, People who don't know any details of the the case, which we tend to do, I've done it myself. I shouldn't be too many too bloody judgmental there, but I think I'd real. I'm I'm like you. I'd like to know it's happening, but I'm going to have to wait until it's actually gone through its process. And even once it goes through its process, that's not a hundred percent guarantee until appeals are exhausted. But yeah, it's odd, odd enough to really capture the interest of a lot of us. Yeah, it's, yeah, the whole thing is very strange. Um, and like I said, hopefully we get some uh, some answers. But you're right, I've kind of had that in the back of my mind as well of, hang on, maybe this is a case of genuine, uh, you know, something genuinely going wrong. She's purchased maybe some mushrooms uh, from a, a dodgy retailer. And, you know, it, there is there are genuine... Uh, explanations for it uh that that aren't malicious but you know yeah. we like to assume the worst with these things um we do and as she said herself look at me i'm a fun guy anyway moving on quickly please um uh, australian as possible <laughs> 
Australian actress Margot Robbie starred in the Barbie film uh, that went on to break box office records. I haven't seen it. My wife saw it. She said she thought it was quite good. Uh, probably a little bit hyped up, but, you know, good on her. Good on Margot Robbie. She's doing us all proud, I guess. Yeah, August. August was a month of things to come. August really was all about what was going to happen in September, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, Prime, Minister Albany, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese ruled out legislating a voice to Parliament if the referendum failed to produce a yes vote, because at this point, the opinion polls for the voice to Parliament were looking to have a negative outcome. Of course, they didn't need to have a referendum to change the constitution, the voice to parliament could just have been legislated through the regular parliamentary channels, uh, but he ruled that out, uh, which I think was probably quite smart politically. Uh, also, in August, the ACCC took Qantas to court, Qantas being the national airline of Australia, alleging it was advertising and selling tickets for more than 8,000 flights <sighs> that it had already cancelled in its system and had no intention of flying. They really and, got a dent in their reputation oh, in 23, oh. didn't they? Wow. We're gonna, we'll keep talking about Qantas. Qantas, uh, they finally caved to public pressure and removed the looming expiry clause on COVID-related flight credits. So for our international listeners that don't quite get what I mean, uh, or our you know non-international listeners that are like, what the hell are you talking about? When If you had a booking for a Qantas flight when the airlines and all the borders closed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Qantas couldn't return your money because they were basically going bankrupt, but, you know, hard times and all that. So what they did is they issued you flight credits, saying, obviously, you can't fly now because no one can, but we will credit your flight in the future. Those flight credits had an expiry. And they were going to expire... In September last year, September 2023, when most people, some, a lot of people did still use their credits and fly, but obviously a lot of people didn't um, or couldn't for various reasons or, you know, couldn't get time off work or it didn't suit them, blah, 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 blah. Um, but the fact is you've spent potentially thousands of dollars with Qantas and they're just going to wipe, wipe it off the books. So the fact that Qantas ever was going to do this, it just blows my mind. So... But they still they still do it with um, with cancel flights anyway. I mean that's the, I don't know if uh, people out there had the experience of having to cancel a flight and getting a, a, and having a, a flight credit. Trying to get the same sort of flight with a flight credit, all of a sudden your oh. options are, are magically reduced. Your prices bumped up. Like you you could have got a, a reasonable price flight. But you can't get that again with your flight credit. You've got to take a selection from the the menu of crap that they offer you up. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. And if it's not if it's not all exactly to different guidelines, you know, for for who it is and who cancelled and uh, that, you, you can't make it happen. In fact, we we had uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pissed off about this because we had one 
that ended up expiring. We couldn't get, we just couldn't get a flight for it. And it was just sort of like, okay, had to take it on the, the, the chin, but just left a bitter taste in my mouth. That's, uh, airlines are so frustrating to deal with. Yep. Um, I think they're very similar all around the world and they all do crap like this. But hey, at least, uh, what was it? United Airlines beat the crap out of a passenger and pulled him off a plane uh, <laughs> yeah. because he didn't want to give up his seat. So huh. it could be worse. It could be yeah, worse. It could be worse. <laughs> in, in September, we had, of course, we had The Voice. Dan Andrews resigned and Alan Joyce retires early. So the Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum was held in September and it was comprehensively defeated. Only the ACT voted in favour of the voice with all other states and territories voting no. Yeah. Dan Andrews announced his resignation as Victorian Premier after nearly nine years in office. He said, when it's time, it is time. Anthony Albanese, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, praised Andrews, saying that he was a person of deep conviction, great compassion, and fierce determination. Ardeet, he was your Premier. How does this make you feel? Well, conviction is the adjective I would have liked to have seen applied to him, but from a criminal sense. No, I was thinking about uh, hearing this, what was going to be my choice for the biggest story and what was going to be my choice for my favourite story. My favourite story this year was Dan going. I was not a fan of him. Having gone through uh, seven lockdowns, being one of the most locked down um, centres in the, the world and I'm on Mornington Peninsula. I'm not even part of bloody Melbourne, but it gets we get uh, – defined as uh, Metro Melbourne and my personal... Really? There you go. I never. I didn't realise that. So you, yeah. you, you've got a rough idea of where I am down on the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're miles from Melbourne. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm literally about 80 k's from the centre of, of Melbourne. So, yeah, I'm a long way out and, you know, you look at it on a map and you sort of, and the thing that's frustrating is for to, uh, I know we're audio here, so to paint a, a, a picture for people, if you can imagine an upside down letter U, the city of Melbourne is at the very top of that U and the two arms that go down encompass a bay. Port Phillip Bay. I'm on one of those arms called the Mornington Peninsula, and the other arm is called the Bellarine Peninsula. The Bellarine Peninsula is not classed as part of Metro Melbourne. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and when we were when we were having curfews and five kilometer radius from your, your home and all that sort of crap, I was not a fan of Dan at all. So a bit of shouting Freuder. Glad to see him go. Fair enough. I can't really speak because I'm not Victorian, uh, famously not Victorian, and <laughs> um, we. Well, I think we had one lockdown through the entire the entire uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. So 
you know, and it was very annoying when when it did happen. Um, and like I said, I think we had won for about five days, and it was pissed me <laughs> off. So I get it. I do get it. Uh, moving on, Qantas. Coming back to Qantas. Qantas' the CEO, Alan Joyce, he brought his retirement forward from November to September. Joyce served as CEO since 2008 and had been set up to step down at the airline's annual general meeting in November as part of a curated transition. But he said on the 5th of September... And I quote, in the last few weeks, the focus on Qantas and the events of the past made it clear to me that the company needs to move ahead with renewal as its priority. The best thing I can do under these circumstances is to bring forward my retirement and hand over to Vanessa Hudson and the new management team now, knowing they will do an excellent job. Hmm. Alan Joyce left with a final payout valued at $22 million. And ironically, the plane he left on to go back home was late. <laughs> he flew virgin. Yeah, yeah, he flew. <laughs> oh, oh, imagine doing that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after August's, August's Qantas hoo-ha, he, you know, that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, and I think it was the right decision to do. Uh, he was very publicly the face of a lot of that drama that was going on at Qantas at the time. So um, probably smart by the board and the company as well to sort of paint him as the villain, um, yeah. you know, and he left with his golden handcuffs. Like um, in October, October wasn't super eventful, but following the failure of the voice, both New South Wales and Queensland reviewed the Aboriginal treaties, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander treaties that they were previously uh, looking at legislating. Uh, both of them very quietly removed them. Uh, and in fact, in Queensland, the coalition begged the Labour Party to make it an election promise, uh, knowing how toxic Aboriginal affairs had become mm. in the failure of the voice. Uh, and we'll come back to Queensland Labour a little bit later on. October was also really dominated. The news worldwide was absolutely dominated by the Hamas attack on Israel and the beginning of the Israel-Hamas war. November, Optus had a national mobile blackout. We did talk about this in the podcast, so I will keep this brief. But this saw, this had an outage. A So for international listeners that don't know, in Australia, we really only have two, uh, I'll say three, I'll be generous and include Vodafone. Uh, we have three major uh, telecommunications telecommunication carriers for mobile phones and that's Telstra which was formerly a government owned company uh, and Optus who's owned by a Singaporean company called Singtel and Optus and Telstra are like off the top of my head something like 80% of the market in Australia uh, with Vodafone and a handful of smaller carriers making up the rest. Uh, so when Optus had a national mobile blackout, we're talking millions of Australians uh, mm. had no phone or, or internet. 
and some reportedly were completely unable to even make emergency calls to triple zero. CEO Kelly Bayer appeared before the parliamentary inquiry to apologize and defended the company's response. She said, and I quote, the reality is that our network should have coped with this change, but on this occasion, it did not. I can confidently assure the Australian public that we have made immediate changes to our systems to ensure that this specific issue will not cause another outage of this nature we experienced last Wednesday. She resigned shortly after making this statement. So this brings us to December. What happened in December? With Ellen Joyce and took off into the sunset. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, in December, I should actually add as well for those that didn't listen to that episode about what happened with Optus and didn't want and was like, what the hell happened? Or how did we have a blackout? It basically boiled down to Optus had been cutting corners on infrastructure and uh, uh, basically like uh, infrastructure maintenance. And so when they updated their network, uh, it caused a cascading effect that basically, uh, uh, like a series of dominoes and the whole system came crashing down. It should never have happened. Um, and you know, I'm quite glad there was a parliamentary inquiry into this. So hopefully something like this can never really happen again in Australia, because like Mm. I said, you know, we, we do have a well-regulated industry, to a to a point but again we seem to love these uh uh damn near monopolies with some of these companies in australia (laughs) Um, and when something goes wrong it it hurts you know so anyway in december Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaget announced she was resigning from the role after more than eight years as the Premier of Queensland. She's the head of the Queensland Labor Party. She said it had been the honour of her life to serve the state. Most Queenslanders took that as she doesn't feel confident. We have a state election coming up next year. Well, this year. Uh, She doesn't feel confident that she's going to be able to secure another victory. I don't know. Maybe you go out on a high. Uh, I'd say Dan Andrews did the same, but maybe not. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Also out of opinion. (laughs) (laughs) But she's gone. So um, she is a little bit, you know, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, She's definitely not hated like Dan Andrews is. Um, We also had... she She didn't seem to be. She actually seemed to be, I mean, you know, she never really seemed to um, give any public accounting at all or or expose herself. However, she did seem to be reasonably well accepted by most people in Queensland as a generalised observation. Yeah, I I would say that's fair. Um, She... I think most people were generally supportive of because Brisbane did have a lot of lockdowns and things during uh, COVID-19. But people were generally quite supportive of that. And there was a bit of hoo-ha because she kept the borders closed a lot longer 
then a lot of the the southern states had sort of open borders or, or at least more porous borders and Queensland really locked down. Um, I think generally Queenslanders are much more sort of xenophobic to our southern cousins. Um, so I don't think that was nearly as politically unpopular as, say, the same thing would have been down south. Um, and... So I think she sort of she knew the levers she could pull, and she she pulled them. And quite frankly, you know, most I think most Queenslanders would say she did a pretty good job through through the the uh, you know the the whole thing, which was certainly uncertain times. But not everyone has a favourable opinion. But that's any politician in it. Yeah, so. yeah, sure. She did pick not the greatest time, if I'm honest, because right as she was residing, severe tropical cyclone Jasper hit <laughs> landfall in far north Queensland, <laughs> causing torrential rain throughout most of northern Queensland with five-day totals of 2,166 oh, wow. millimetres, or for our Americans... 85.3 inches of rain reported at Black Mountain and 2,025 millimetres or 79.7 inches at Myola, both near the, the town of Corunda. If verified, this would make Jasper the wettest tropical cyclone to impact Australia on record. And, of course, Ooh. widespread flooding occurred all over North Queensland with Cairns suffering the worst flood ever on record. Incredibly, though, only one fatality was recorded. Yeah. That's amazing, it's, isn't it? With that amount of bloody water that you only got one fatality. Absolutely incredible. However, the wild weather definitely wasn't over yet, and unfortunately... Nine people were killed after severe storms battered the eastern states over the Christmas holidays uh, from all the way from Victoria to Queensland. Um, and what's really tragic was there was a nine-year-old girl who was swept away while they were playing in a flooded storm drain just on the outskirts of Brisbane. Um, a bit of flash flooding occurred and she got swept away and was found uh, uh, much later washed down the drain absolutely mm. terrible a horrendous thing uh right before christmas uh, oh, i think it was God. i believe it was new year's um not new year's sorry christmas oh, Eve, shit, it's that. never it's never a good time but to have, oh. it, have it occur at something like that that's just gutting absolutely horrendous so again we are still in for some wild weather on the east coast all the way from victoria to queensland so if you are listening to this and you're in these areas please keep safe uh you know all the standard stuff don't play in the flood water don't play in storm drains i think that's a good lesson for all of us uh stay away from big gum trees they can drop their limbs which has yeah. happened of course as well in a few different places uh and there was a freaking tornado <laughs> on oh. mount tambourine just outside of the gold coast so look out for the tornado as well uh, uh i don't really have any advice for tornadoes <laughs> but um don't go towards it 
Yeah, just, I don't know. Tor- tornadoes don't. are not ice creams from God. <laughs> keep away, keep away. Keep away. Uh, and that is 2023, basically, in review. Of course, we've missed probably a ton of things, as we're always going to. Uh, if there's things that you want to remind us of or anything like that, uh, let us know on the r slash Australian subreddit. But let's move on to this Actually, week. just just before just before we, we move on... Um, my favourite story is obviously Dan going, and my choice for the biggest story was the voice referendum. Wouldn't surprise me if that was yours. What's yep. your choice for biggest story, and what was your choice for favourite story? I think the biggest story, it just it had to be the voice, right? Yeah. Um, we don't get referendums very often at all in some cases only only once or twice in a lifetime uh and naturally you know that was really going to shape the future of of how australia was going to look and how you know the the people of australia look and treat their aboriginal and torres strait islander people and vice versa um i think my favorite story um was something i didn't mention i i almost mentioned um and it was i'm just gonna look up the date and when this happened it was the 7th of august uh this one you may have even you probably heard about this uh but in the middle of the night uh the melbourne sky was lit up as a friggin meteor uh raced across the sky um, oh it did it and it turns out it actually wasn't a meteor it was piece of a russian rocket launch re-entering the atmosphere over Melbourne and burning up uh, and a huge streak occurred just over the sky over Melbourne uh, no one was hurt nothing like that but it looked pretty spectacular um, I bet it did I was going to mention it but as a audio podcast it's a bit hard to describe the plus it's not really sort of a, a big national no. thing, but that's, that might well maybe I, I can understand you being on the fence about that that's i i didn't even hear about that and i usually oh there you go pick up yeah i usually pick up on things like that that's interesting i'll send it to you so you can have a look at the picture but yeah, yeah okay. very cool i just thought it was cool um yeah. so just something a bit weird like i said definitely aliens so um, <laughs> definitely aliens <laughs> in this case they're russian aliens so uh right let's move on to this week in australian history this week in australian history we're covering the 19th to the 26th of december let's get into it december 19th 1930 for the first time perth is linked by telephone to the rest of australia 1930 uh, and we've regretted it ever since. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what do you want now? <laughs> 1955, Dame Edna Everidge, played by Barry Humphreys, makes her stage debut. Um, 1967. Now, I think we might have to have – we might be having to start a drinking game here, and you'll see why in a tick. 1967, on December 19th, John McEwen becomes the 18th Prime Minister of Australia, following the disappearance of who? Uh, 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 
Halt. Yes. This is the tip of my tongue. I, got, uh... oh, yeah, exactly. I think every time on this podcast. Oh, oh, yeah, he disappeared. Yeah. We talk, he's always. He's... I know. <laughs> he disappeared from Earth, but he didn't disappear from our hearts. No. Uh, December 20th, 1915, uh, completion of the Anzac evacuation from Gallipoli before dawn. Um, we've mentioned that before. What a. Was it last podcast or the podcast before you talked about how successful a yeah absolutely massively successful probably the most successful part of that campaign if i'm honest yeah god yeah uh 1917 the second plebiscite on the issue of military conscription was held and it was defeated december 21 1817 lachlan macquarie recommends the adoption of the name Australia for the continent instead of New Holland. Now, I read... did. <laughs> yeah, I read... Well, yeah, I'm glad we did too. I read this and I thought, you know, I don't really... If you had asked me before I'd read it and looked it up, obviously, um, where Australia came from, I don't think I could have told you. Could you? Uh, it comes from Terra Australis, yeah, meaning southern land. Oh, yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect Latin for southern <laughs> land. So it got used as uh, it got shortened as that. Um, yep, exactly right. So that was eighteen seventeen, eighteen eighty nine. The poem "Clancy of the Overflow" by Banjo Patterson is first published in the Bulletin magazine. 1938, a direct radio telephone link is established between Canberra and Washington, D.C. Ah, yeah. I'm sure that came in handy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it did too. Uh, 1977, the World Series of Cricket is launched by Kerry Packer. Oh, and it was the end of cricket. In 1977, <laughs> cricket was just not going to recover from that. Uh, as we saw with a whole lot of that hype. <laughs> Bullshit as well. Um, nine, in fact, I remember because yeah, 1977. What was I? I was uh, thirteen, completely uninterested in in sports. But my brother was was mad about cricket. I, I think I might have told you this before. We had an auntie who used to come down, and she'd take us to the um, the the cricket. So we saw some of the very early very early. Um, uh, games of the World Series, cricket, and my brother would just like he had he had a bat and he'd be one of the you know, one of these kids he'd be out in the backyard you know hitting balls and that and I just but my auntie used to always buy like an excessive amount of cakes for the <laughs> for the, <laughs> for the day which meant I got to gorge myself on a cleanse. <laughs> he came for the cakes. He I, came for the cakes. I came for the cakes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, I remember. I was very very pleased to see the uh, the, the one day World Series cricket come in. December twenty second in nineteen eleven, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia was established. In nineteen nineteen, Susan Grace Benny becomes the first Australian woman elected to a local government. 1989, two tourist coaches collide on the Pacific Highway north of Kempsey in New South Wales, 35 killed and 39 injured. Well, we've had uh, oh, oh, yeah. we've had problems with buses, you know, and collisions and things, haven't we? 
Yeah. Oh, so, and when you mentioned that uh, story early on, I thought that um, seat belts had become mandatory in buses. Well, any enforcement that. of them being worn is the problem. Just because uh, they're there, people don't necessarily wear them. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, December 23, 1901, the Immigration Restriction Act comes into force, instituting the White Australia policy. 1916, in the Sinai Desert, Australian and New Zealand mounted troops capture the Turkish garrison during the Battle of Magdaba. 1929, the 1929 timber workers' strike results from a decision of the of Judge Lucan of the Arbitration Court to reduce the wages and increase the hours for 20,000 timber workers from a 44-hour week to a 48-hour week. I can't understand why they were pissed off. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's not often you hear that thing. Well, no, sorry. You've got to uh, actually work another four hours a week and you're going to get paid less. So, yeah, not a... Not a <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, can you imagine a judge doing something like that? The, well, you know, that's what was days. so odd. I thought I'd misread it for a little bit at, at first. So, what's that, 1929? No, I don't think you could get away with it now. No. I might, you know, with different industry, but, um, yeah. 1983, Australia records its first death from the HIV AIDS virus. Um, December 24th, 1971, Cyclone Althea hits Townsville and the surrounding islands, killing three. 1972, the official highest maximum temperature in Queensland of 49.5 degrees Celsius, that's 121.1 Fahrenheit, is recorded in Birdsville. I'm surprised it's not higher than that, actually. Yeah, that's that's Queensland maximum temperature in Queensland. But yeah, um, I guess probably because of the humidity. Like it's it's hot all round, but it doesn't. Mm. the The temperatures aren't you know they're, I guess, more consistent maybe. Because I remember being in Sydney. Uh, when was that? Two thousand and thirteen, where we hit fifty one degrees Celsius. Absolutely horrendous, mm. disgusting, horrible, <laughs> horrible, uh, and that you know that was in the city. So um, forty nine point five in Birdsville—that's out in the desert. <laughs> like you'd think it'd be higher, but I'm glad it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Nineteen seventy four and December twenty four, Cyclone Tracy devastates the city of Darwin, and the official death toll was seventy one. Uh, December 25, 1826, Major Edmund Lockyer arrives at King George Sound to take possession of the western part of the continent, establishing a settlement near Albany. 1975, 15 people are killed in an arson attack at the Savoy Hotel in King's Cross in New South Wales. And the final day, December 26th, on that date in 1902, Brisbane is declared a city. 1902 as well, Ada Evans becomes the first female law graduate in Australia. 1906, the world's first feature-length film, The Story of the Kelly Gang, premieres in Melbourne. Uh, Which is really cool. I, I don't think there's... 
a full copy of it left. I might be mistaken, but I um, think you're correct that there's there's bits of it missing. Uh, yeah, but a lot of those early ones were because there weren't many copies made, and of course it was on film, and you know. So if you've seen it, don't tell me the end. <laughs> Spoiler alert, uh, 1945, the first Sydney to Hobart yacht race is held. I actually thought it would have been a bit earlier than that, but 45, still, it's still a fair. 1945? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Still not bad. Uh, 1998, astronaut Andy Thomas becomes the first Australian to walk in space. And rounding it out, December 26, 2005, a death of Kerry Packer, Australia's richest man and the major sharehold in uh, PBL. Um, PBL, what did that stand for? That was whatever Packer's empire was. Now, one of the – look, there's a lot to dislike about uh, Kerry Packer, the Goenna, yeah. as he was nicknamed, but – one thing I just am always grateful for and gained and just love is he appeared in front of a House of Representatives um, select committee and they were grilling him. They were they were sitting back there so freaking smug bureaucrats. Um, you know, it was about media ownership and other things. Um and they thought, oh, we've got this bloke, we've got him on a, a skewer, he's here, he's had to come in there, and he just owned them. And there's there's three quotes that I just loved in his answers. The first one was, this idea of passing legislation, legislation every time someone blinks is a nonsense, no one understand it, understands it. Mm-hmm. And then, then he said, every time you pass a law, you take someone's privileges away from them. I thought, yeah, at my favourite line was um, when they were getting also like, oh, you've been minimising tax and that. And he just he just straight-faced looked them in the eye and said, of course I'm minimising tax, and anyone in this country who doesn't minimise their tax needs their head read. Because as a government, I can tell you, you're not spending it that well that we should be donating extra. And to me, <laughs> that's a delightful way to end this week in Australian history. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, I think I might need a beer. As I'm sure he probably did as well. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> now, as has been tradition, we've got two questions. One of these I feel like is pretty easy the other one's a little bit trickier. I don't know. I say that every week, so we'll see. Question one, whose face is on the $10 note? That's, that's <laughs> Henry Lawson, isn't it? Nope. Oh, oh Banjo Patterson. It's Banjo Patterson. God, Henry, Banjo Patterson. Yeah. For our that was the easy one. Hopefully, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was. Well, that, to be honest, that was that was the more tricky one out of the two. Um, for our internationalists that have no idea what our money looks like, uh, there is a picture of Banjo Patterson on the back of the ten dollar note. Our ten dollar notes are blue. They're made out of polymer. They're plastic, uh, and they're fantastic. They're basically indestructible. <laughs> um, they are. 
And in fact, it was Banjo Patterson mentioned in the This Week in Australian History. Yeah, Clancy of the Overflow, 1889, December 21st. Second question, and this is also a happy coincidence. This is about the Gallipoli campaign. Uh, there was a very famous World War One digger called John Simpson uh, Kilpatrick, and he enlisted the help of what animal at Gallipoli? I do know this one. Simpson's donkey. It is. He was a stretcher bearer, and he used a donkey to help evacuate wounded men climb the cliffs of Gallipoli. So well done. You got them both yeah. right. Congratulations. And there's a, there's a statue of him somewhere, um, like Simpson's donkey, like immortalized in bronze. I'm somewhere. sure there is. Um, I'm going to look it up. I'm sure there is. There definitely yeah, like is. Yeah, that, that rings a... I'm trying to think where it is. It's probably the War Memorial. Yeah, it is. It's at the War Memorial. In uh, yeah, in the ACT. Um, oh. Actually, I, I was going to say when you said that, I was like, I, I've, I'm sure I've seen it. I'm sure I've touched it. I'm yes. trying to think where it was, but yeah. It's so at the, at the uh, memorial, at the Australian War Memorial in the ACT. Oh. Um, yeah, I remember I was at the pub the other day, and there was uh, I didn't know who he was, and the bartender. Gave a guy a beer and said, "There you go, donkey." I thought, "Oh, okay." And it sort of had another couple of drinks. He had another drink. The bartender said, "There you go, donkey." And I said, turned around and I said, "Why does he call you donkey?" He goes, "He all, he all, he always calls me that." (laughs) 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 And thank you so much for joining us for another Australia Talks, the official podcast of the R slash Australian subreddit. If you have any feedback or suggestions for topics, please get in touch with us on the R slash Australian subreddit or email us at Australian subreddit at proton.me. We'd also be grateful if you could subscribe and give us an honest review as this helps us out immensely. Otherwise, Join us next week for another episode of Australia Talks. And and remember, (laughs) at r slash Australian, we are Australian. Thanks for listening and tell your mum I love her. Thanks. See you, DK. Bye.